So the teaching committee meeting this morning is about consciousness and about what it means to raise consciousness or increase consciousness or how, and how does that relate to spiritual work and how, how do we set conditions or take advantage of conditions so that so that consciousness expansion is more like um, more part of our kind of meat and potatoes or carrots and celery as the case may be about in terms of our kind of day-to-day -day interactions or day-to-day -day creations or kind of what we're involved in I mean we have in our in the Western Bible tradition, we have a set of practices that we use ostensibly for to do spiritual work, which in, which gives us something to do while spiritual work happens, which is you know study and exercise and meditation and agony and just our set of basic practices, diet and considerations and that, and that's we we think about um, we've been told or educated about our pra those practices that they don't actually, they're not for anything. There's no real purpose except practice is its own purpose, practicing for practicing. So we're given practices to practice with. And yet, at the same time, there's, a, there's something that practice causes, which is a kind of a heat that we all are familiar with, which is a what Gurdjieff calls, he calls it a conflict or a war between Mr. Yes and Mr. No, or Mrs. Yes and Mrs. No, uh, inside of us about practice or not practice, or to what degree we practice, and that brings up the consideration of who I'm kidding, kind of inquiry. But that whole set of practices has an effect, theoretically, which is what in our school we refer to as building matrix. It produces a certain kind of stress on our biological organism and our psychological organism that produces a kind of stress that's food or it's a kind of uh, nutrition and um, um, do you need that change? Yeah, can I go louder? Yes. Okay. Turn it to about one o'clock, Jesse. And the, the building the matrix occurs, as, as we've talked about before, by having our, um, our organism, our system, exposed to, to certain stresses or radiations or influences or nutrients that feed and nurture and build the matrix. And so that's, that's a correlation between practicing and building matrix. But then the question that I wanted to bring up today to consider is how does that all relate to consciousness? How does that all relate to expanding consciousness? When uh, um, there's, a, there's a way that consciousness expansion was kind of a consideration some years ago, you know, Buck wrote this whole book about consciousness and people were 
the 70s, I guess, just talking about consciousness. There was a whole consciousness, quote-unquote, consciousness-raising movement and like that. But they're, I'm not talking about that as a fad or a, um, something that's cool. I want to talk about it as a more like the, to, to look at spiritual work is that that's one of the fundamental aspects of what's really happening. Or anyway, that's that's a a result that that that's a if consciousness expands, it produces some result. And we we um, not that that's like trying to be a purpose. Like if we had a consciousness expansion meter, you could walk up and measure somebody's consciousness. Although EJ Gold would tend to do that. And sell, you. Huh? <laughs> and sell you one. Yeah, and sell you one. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm sure Mr. Lee is doing the same thing, but he doesn't verbalize about it so often, at least not in that terminology. He uses other words. But, how many but bronzes it, you have is the determination of your consciousness? Come on, you're bronzed over conscious. <laughs> Would you like to expand your consciousness? <laughs> Try one of these. <laughs> Which is not far off the truth, huh? It can be a tool. Exactly, yeah. Well, yes, yeah, exactly what I was saying. It's like, the, yeah, the, the bronzes embody a radiation that is our communication that's been embedded by previous owners, theoretically, or probably most likely we, and that, and that what you're you're buying is a like vitamin C consciousness. Vitamin <laughs> B. Or what? Bronze. Bronze. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the what I really what I wanted to just consider and talk about is how how do we take advantage of the surroundings that we're in, including the ashram and each other and the circumstance of Lee's presence and the school and everything to um, row downstream, you know, go with the, the efforts to quote-unquote expand consciousness. I, I don't want to overuse that phrase because it's an old phrase and it's almost a um, cliche. cliche, but in our, our terminology, um, we haven't really talked so much about exactly about consciousness expansion, but there's some way that there's, you know, if we're walking across the yard and there's a piece of paper on the ground, for example, and it's in an ashram, and you know, if we are aware of the paper and that it's an ashram, then we can pick it up, and if we're just as if we're walking down the street, then it's we'd probably just leave it there or something. There's a there's a way that consciousness expansion produces responsibility. Responsibility being a side effect of consciousness. It can't be we're not responsible for something unless we're aware of that which we can be responsible for. So there's there's some way that Responsibility does not happen without consciousness happening first. And there's, there's a way that our practice directly influences the growth of our awareness or the growth of our consciousness. And, and I don't mean our like personal consciousness. I'm talking about uh, in the same kind of way that when we exercise in a certain muscles, they tend to grow bigger except... Well, I'll have to check on that. But I, you know, with muscles that you stop exercising and they get smaller again. And I suppose with consciousness, I've always understood consciousness to be a one-way road where you know it's evolutionary. 
but whereas if you if you move forward with consciousness you can't undo what you have become conscious of you can't become unconscious but at the same time we've also been told that at any point or at any level you can completely lose your work you can completely um, get off the track and lose it and that's a difficult thing to regain so there's a there's a way that it is possible to lose at least context or some some kind of relationship with the, the divine or the universe such that it's useful for the divine or universe, you can get off of that and lose it. And that has something to do with consciousness too. So what I wanted to do is bring, you know, enter the domain of considering, well, what, what does consciousness have to do with spiritual work? And um, th thinking that it has something considerable to do with spiritual work and that this and that um, uh, to kind of bring that up for us to think about and like how have we been working with that? How, how has the consideration of expanding consciousness or becoming more aware been a part of our work? I mean, one thing that I would propose is that one of the main things that has attracted us or caused us to be involved in a spiritual school or a spiritual tradition would be our interest in consciousness expansion, or at least you know, some people take a step back. When we expand consciousness, it's generally devastating to the previous world that we had before. We, um, psychology is dedicated to keeping everything the same and controlling things and dominating things, manipulating things, and knowing things it's like that's what that's what our our psychology is dedicated to and to um to have that to have us become more aware that changes what we're we're it changes our ability to control and manipulate things and it gives us uh takes us out of control actually especially if we're going through one present condition and going to an expanded condition there's a phase that could be called the liquid state or the phase of what Werner Earhart calls um, breakdown before we get to breakthrough that um, is can be described as excruciating or frightening or uncomfortable or um, stressful but on the other hand writing the writing the uh, the roller coasters at Fantasyland or whatever are extremely ex excruciating too. And there's, I think that something that we have that has actually attracted us to spiritual work has been our, our, um, some kind of joy or um, delight in having the experience of having our consciousness expanded, of learning radically new things, or having a context shift, and so. So I wanted to put that out too, that probably one of the main drivers that has brought us into spiritual work has been, whether we knew it or not, some kind of joy in the experience of becoming more conscious. So I wanted to, um, you know, I'm offering that as a, like a gateway into a conversation about how to take advantage of the, our circumstances for moving forward.
consciousness expansion as a way of like going with the force that's behind us, the force to the wish, the the path. It's almost as if the path itself would be um, the path of consciousness expansion. Like what else is the path? The path. What what is moving forward, or what goes? Like what what takes it? What is the step? What are the steps that are happening? We're moving along the path, and what are the, what's the actual, what's happening to distinguish one step from the next step, or one level from the next level, if it's not some kind of consciousness expansion? Everybody, you can put your hand up. I was just, I don't know if this is, I was reading last night, I was very sloppy, maybe with um, Amshu, and the interview will be speaking about basically the lack of consciousness of, of, that's evident in, in mankind in the world and the superficiality and, and um, she was talking she was basically speaking that there's only love and he was saying how can you say that when this is the situation of humanity and then she said well there's something very specific that we can do and so of course he was asking her what that was he said our hearts are very wounded and we're they're broken and and you know how can we open and be loving when our hearts are closed and then he said it seems like it's a vicious cycle you know that we're closed and then we experience life as reinforcement that it's wise to stay closed and blah 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 he said it seems to be a vicious cycle and she just she just looked at her looked at him and said break it and he said how and she said that basically all of our hearts have been bruised or wounded, and it's time to um, observe the mind. First and foremost, observe the mind and its negativity. Do not um, collaborate with it, and practice bringing love to whoever crosses my path. She says, that's the practice. And he said, I think you're asking too much. <laughs> and she said, that's the practice. It's love. You're not going to experience love in your life unless you're actually giving it. And the more you give it, you find that you have an inexhaustible plenitude. And she said most people have a relationship to God that's so superfluous and superficial that what their experience is is that there's this desire for God, but there's a completely unwillingness to unarmor the heart. And she said that that's not, that's not God. That if you are really, really... Um, developing, enhancing, and strengthening your interior relationship to the divine, then that by its very nature comes through the limbs of your body, it comes through your eyes, it comes through your actions. And if it's not coming through your actions with any kind of consistency, it's because the practice of offering love and putting others first is not in place. And then she, that was like the reinforcement, no matter what the man said, to refute that that was against all odds. She kept indicating that it's not only possible, but it was equally accessible practice. So I don't know if, that's, if that at all ties into what you're presenting. Exactly, yeah, it does. One of the, as we all know, the one of the main difficulties that we would encounter with practicing is simply remembering to practice. And it's so easy to be, the, the psychological machine hooks us into being identified with personality and territory and possessions and 
powers and like that that we like something a practice like sourcing love at in a space or in every moment is um we forget we just forget so plus it's so tempting for the underworld creatures to um, feed off of all the stuff that um, we have reason to forget but um there's a there's some exercises that they that Gurdjieff brought and um one of the first ones that they were doing, one of them is that they were paying attention to your attention as a being aware of what you're aware of or looking at what you're looking with or these kinds of remembering devices that shift one's perception from um, kind of normal identification to having a split thing at the observer. So that you can actually um, observe what's really going on, and that usually produces a little bit of a gap that helps helps make us gives us a chance to create something other than the than the prevalent than the like the lowest common denominator of what's happening. You could create something different from that, but then we still have to remember to do the, the pay attention to our attention. We still have to remember to. Aware of what we're aware of, but still having to remember to do that. And there's some there's some way that consciousness is what allows us to have that ability. If we don't even know that love is a possibility right now, if we don't even know that self observation or inquiry is a possibility right now, then how can we go ahead with it? How can we actually do that? One of the um, attractions when I was uh, getting into the consciousness field was like, I think I got into it more because uh, it relieved the pain. Like, I got tired of this more and more suffering came up, and consciousness was kind of like a door out of that because it was a whole different part of myself. It was a whole different world where the rules were different and I was different. And I, I felt I kind of escaped into that. I don't know that, I mean, it was joyful in the sense that it was, a, it was not suffering and, you know, as much as it could be at that point. Uh, and it seems that consciousness, the whole issue of consciousness in relationship to, you know, inquiry is kind of like uh, peripheral because I have, found that, you know, inquiry really very much depending on the context of being in a teacher in school with a, a, a well, I consider to be a real teacher or a real spiritual master, you know, you have this certain context available to you. So when one inquires, you're kind of like constantly uh, sloughing off your attachments to or, or looking at your attachments to consciousness one way or the other like what's your relationship to consciousness it, it you know moving towards a direction of being like unattached to whatever consciousness is producing at that particular time which is very much in line tangentially with what Arnaud does with you know 
being with what is as it is here and now. And I think our reactional inquiry is, is that doorway, is, is our doorway to that same world. If people, if we use that, if we practice with that, then we're constantly sloughing off the attachments to our interpretation, our projections to what is as it is here and now. And then the context, the true context of what is as it is here and now arises. You know, we are, we are walking through, in a sense, kind of pure consciousness. So I think that, that, that to me, you know, that's the, that kind of connection point. What I'm saying is we're not usually thinking about that. Like when we eat oats in the morning, <laughs> we don't usually eat oats well, depends, for the purpose of it depends how I mean, for my, It depends how much, like I'm suffering. Like I, the relationship to inquiry depends, like if I'm really in it, I go, you know, okay, who am I to, you know, slough it off, like you're attached, you know, like I woke up this morning at like, you know, 2, 1.30 and I was like in it, you know, like who I think I am was like suffering big time and, you know, I said, okay, that's, what is this? Like, what am I attached to? What's going on here? And I did that for, you know, questions for an hour or two, kind of breached into like, it's not your problem. Like this, this dilemma is not your problem. Like, why don't you just give it up? Like, you know, it's just, you're just reinforcing identity. You're just reinforcing your own identity by engaging. No, 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 no. You know, we were sitting at breakfast. Somebody mentioned how, how wonderful it was to be sitting in the sun and how warm it is, you know. And, and I all of a sudden thought, you know, like, who's warm? Like, who is there to be warm? Who is there to be cold? Like, who is, who, like, you know, if I'm here and I'm warm, like, what's next that I have to, like, make a decision about to, to possess and to identify with, rather than just, like, just being here, rather than just being with whatever is arising. You know, I have a preference, okay, I like it warm, and I don't, I dislike it when it's really cold. But the more I thought about how warm it was, the more the projection arose, well, yeah, but, you know, later on in the year, it's going to really get cold, and you're really going to be uncomfortable. And, and I went, no, like, just drop it. Like, <laughs> just be here and forget about, you know, your decision, your, your opinion about warm and cold, and you like it or you dislike it, which I think is to the accessible truth. You know, who am I kidding? So, so the, here's the consideration. The consideration is, in spiritual work, that there is a phenomenon that is sometimes recognized or called expanding consciousness, and well, and that's that's a that's something that really occurs. I mean, it's something that exists, and we're actually doing a lot to set up uh, an ashram and have a schedule and a diet and practices such that something occurs which seems to me to be related to consciousness expansion, and there's. There is, there's not really, um, the, we, there isn't, I, the consideration is, is what's the, is, is there any relation, is there a relationship? Is there con, the consideration is, what about consciousness expansion? How do, how do we bring that into functionality, something, I mean, Consciousness, consciousness, is what it's getting. Maybe it's 
this talk, you know, maybe it isn't. The reason I'm bringing it up is I'm suspicious that it's not irrelevant. I'm suspicious that, that there is some value in having that be an understanding as part of what spiritual work is. You know, otherwise, a lot of things don't make sense. There's a lot of forces at work. There's a lot of um, energetics or activities that are involved in what we do every day that don't make sense unless there's a picture that's going, okay, consciousness expansion is happening, or that like, that's the purpose of that. Well, I think the language is... Angela? Oh, excuse me. Actually, I may we're going to say the same thing, I don't know, but I, for, for me, it's, it's a language thing at this mm -hmm. point, because expanding consciousness is a common term used, you know, in, in the consciousness movement in the West. Um, but in this school, there's more of a, a traditional approach to the use of the term consciousness. Consciousness doesn't expand, it can't expand because it is what it is. You know, and, and it's, you know, you might call it like context or Shiva or the absolute or something like that. But, but there is a process in which we become more and more opened to consciousness. We become more and more available to the context of pure consciousness. And that, and you know, maybe there there's a window that's opening, or there are veils that are being that are being. There's lots of metaphors we could use: veils that are being torn aside, or moved aside, or moved through. Or there's a purification process, so that there's more and more clarity brought to our experience of what is, which is consciousness. Because what is, or just this, is consciousness. That, that's my understanding of it. So. So for me, it's more like a language thing at this point because if there is a process in which we are becoming clarified and more available to the divine, which is consciousness, mm -hmm. is, is unquestionable and that we're asleep to that a lot, a great deal of the time is unquestionable. I mean, that's, that's the process that we're in. So that process is what I have been calling expanding consciousness, but that's... Other that's old whatever like you said it's consciousness movement terminology but the like there's also we call the great process of divine evolution and is that more what I'm talking about like there's there's a the the process of the veils being removed or the the vision being clarified or the uh, the heart being open or the perceptions being cleansed or whatever openness or whatever accepting what is like the whole that process of step by step by step like preparation of to the to the like point where whatever where the vertical shift happens um it yeah i i have i have like i i, I think we're talking about the same thing but i i've, I've like pondered this question and i've Questionly about it a lot over the years, and it's interesting because now I'm in a dialogue with what is enlightenment about something that's very close to the bone of what what you're bringing bringing here. Mm -hmm. um, and what I have consistently heard from Lee is that is if I understand it, and maybe I don't. It's very possible that I don't. Um, is that um, consciousness never changes, and there is a process of great divine. Uh, the great process of divine evolution there's a process of evolution but that that is happening more in terms of being and I, and and 
that there's there's a distinction that can be made between being and consciousness, although being, of course, obviously doesn't exist and consciousness is the ground of everything. But being is somehow this individuated, individuated aspect of the divine that is evolving through time, along with a lot of other discrete aspects of the divine that are manifest. So, and, and the question, the question with what, with, with the what is enlightenment consideration is, is, um, is there an evolution, is, is, does, and they're using the term enlightenment, I think, very similarly to the way we're using consciousness, perhaps, if I understand at all. And the question is, does enlightenment, is there a different kind of enlightenment now than there was 2,000 years ago, for example, a different kind of consciousness. Is consciousness, does consciousness itself change? And I keep hearing from ways, no, consciousness itself does not change. And there is a process that is going on. You do. <coughs> Go ahead. E.J. Gold says, uses the terminology about being, and he says that it starts out about the size of a grapefruit, and then being grows. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, one model is that the matrix is the, is the substrate upon which being grows, and then more consciousness can be manifested there. What is it? It's the substrate upon which it grows? Matrix. Matrix. <clears throat> well, if if consciousness doesn't grow, maybe it's a matter of like you know this term taking away the veils. I was just sitting here, being reminded of an IKEA class with Ralph, where he said it's not you know it's about taking away stuff. It's not about adding. And um, it seems like rather than thinking about building something, building consciousness, it's like stripping away the things that are, that are keeping us from it. And like the example Dacia gave, just like sitting there and, you know, considering who is it that feels the warmth and who is it that feels the cold. And I think you started out with talking about living on an ashram and doing all this as a, as a way to um, expand consciousness or how does it, how do we do that and why? And, for me, the example Dossie gave is a great one because if you make a commitment to this kind of lifestyle and practice, it's like you have to get to the point where you're you're questioning all that stuff, like who is it who's preferring the warm and the cold, especially when you sit in the barn for more than half the year and some words you see your own breath. It's like you have to like get beyond those kinds of little things being in our way of communion and and of what is, and ultimately our own death, like dealing with, with the fear and the discomfort and, and all that can come with that package. And I'm, I'm thinking too that this thing of, this term of expanded consciousness or divine evolution, whatever term we're using, enlightenment, might, like small glimpses and experience of that 
it's almost like I had absolutely nothing to do with it except that I was in the right place at the right time with the right teacher or whatever. That there was not the doing. It was just a matter of staying in place and kind of almost a, a bit of an endurance. Just stay here and be with what arises. And, you know, great grace comes along. Or not. But, so... I don't have any answers. I just, that's just from my experience. When, when we were working with Mike McDonald, who was a, a student of E.J. Gold, one of the things that he was talking about was inducing, which, or inductivism, which is to call forth out of what was already there. Like it was already there. We just were, it was looking and calling it out. And then it's the Socratic method, the thing of just kind of inquiring asking questions and inquiring and bringing it the basis is that it's already there, it already exists, and we're just calling it out. And then the lead, when she works with people, she often talks about obstacles and removing obstacles or blocks, and that's the same kind of thing you're talking about. Rose? I was just thinking that obstacles are very practically in relation to the original question of how to <coughs> how do we support the process of, of clarification in ourselves. You were saying that as we become more conscious, more aware, we take responsibility, and I think that's very true, but I've also found the converse to be true, that, that the more we turn our attention to responsibility, the more we put ourselves in at an angle to Lee and, and to the divine where we become available to to a larger consciousness and a different frame of reference than our own narrow frame of reference. And that may sound kind of theoretical, but it, for me it's a very specific process of when there's when there is tremendous internal energy to focus on indulgence of a particular emotional reaction or a conditioned perception that I'm very that I'm very attached to whether it produce, some of those produce a great deal of suffering and some of those I experience as making me happy but the more that I begin to see that they're just conditioned perceptions um, often the door that I find out of that is not to like wrestle with the thing itself so much as to just turn my attention to what is the responsibility that's asked in relation to me in this work at that moment and, and if I make that small choice of okay, at this moment it's time to you know in my own world and so it's that it's that choice of responsibility that actually opens the field that I'm in to the larger field. Yeah, that's what, that's what kind of in the children's direction is often it's a whole thing. Process, there's a there's a price that gets paid. There's something that costs. There's something that we lose or uh, 
drops away. And usually, it's, uh, ego is usually attached in some way to, to that which we have to pay for some shift to happen. And so that um, there's some, but there's some, like someone like Brenda was saying, I mean, there's some process where uh, we become aware of the price we're paying to keep the block in place or to keep the attachment. And then we, there's some, it's not a rational thing or a logical thing, but it's an experiential thing where you get to the place where it becomes you know, a trade-off because it's more expensive to keep the block or to get rid of it. And it's that point that there's a possibility that the block can go away. But until that, you know, I've tried. What is the correlation to what you say that it's not possible to remove blocks before time? So I experienced that myself. If blocks are coming and they're staying, I always try to remove them. It's not working. So, but it's my responsibility still. You understand the question? So, mm-hmm. what can I do in that situation? Well. This school, I don't know about all schools, but this school is very generous in terms of having it be up to us as to how high the heat is turned in terms of that. So we can put ourselves in positions where the heat is very high, and we can also put ourselves in positions where it's just about room temperature. It's fairly hotter than room temperature. And there's no good or bad label placed on that. Not like it's bad to have the temperature be really cool. I mean, I, I know a number of people who are on the periphery, you could call it the periphery of the school. And uh, there's a quote, it might have been from Family Children. Somebody was bringing up the question to her about, well, I'm, I'm only here every now and then. I don't get to see the guru very much. I'm so busy with work. I have kids. I have some illness or whatever. And... And Pema Chodron, I think it was her, said, yes, it's a very difficult job to hold in the school, the, the being, being the job of a peripheral person, but somebody has to do it. We, it's necessary in the school that there are people at the edge of the school. So, so there's no good or bad assessment placed on how hot you have the temperature turn. And, and so in terms of how hot you turn the temperature, it is really up to us. It really is up to us. So there isn't a good or bad thing about it. It's just like, you know, how much spaghetti do you want to eat? Like, how, how many CDs do you want to own? It's like, there's, I mean, how long do you want to brush your teeth? It's like, there's, it's really up to us as to um, how far we want to go with that. And it seems like EJ often said, or he said, once and it went out of tape and I heard it over again so it sounded like awful. <laughs> <coughs> he said that if this process could move faster than it seems to move, he would make it work, work faster. He would do everything he can to make it work instantaneous, but it just doesn't work that fast. There is a time element involved in, in the stripping away or the cleansing or the or the whatever the opening that it takes time to do that, and so um, there, there isn't. I don't think there is a way to intentionally um, remove blocks faster than the speed of light or something. 
it, it seems to they get removed when they get removed, yeah. My experience with myself is that sometimes there's an, an inability, but more often than not, there's an unwillingness. And, you know, if I really look at it and look at it and look at it and go, you know, okay, why am I still manifesting this? And sometimes it's just, un, it's just un, unwilling to like live without that manifestation at that point. So I don't know when, you know, when it comes up to the inability, then it's like there's this big help available. And like you said, it takes, the process takes time. My question was also about the unwillingness. Go ahead and say, say more about that. Just because what Brina just said, I can see that for myself too, that, that